Conservation Queens podcast. We are five girls who love the earth and have a passion for living a more eco-friendly life. We are real-life zoo employees, and as always, nothing that we say reflects our organizations, and all thoughts and opinions are our own. Please keep in mind that we try to keep our podcast PG-13, so if you have younger listeners, you may want to review the content beforehand. And I know uh, we got a fan request to kind of reintroduce ourselves so you guys can match the voice to the names a little easier. So we're going to just kind of do a little roll call. I'm Katie. I'm Emily A. I'm Emily B. What's up? I'm Kenzie. <laughs> and I'm Abby. <laughs> <laughs> and we are the Conservation Queens. So with yeah. that, let's get into this episode. All right. So we want to do a little fan shout out to Carson N for our topic today. Today, we're talking about invasive species. Now, he was asking us in particular about rainbow lizards, which are actually native to sub-Saharan Africa, but they have become an invasive species here in Florida uh, because the climate is very similar. Uh, We're actually going to talk a little bit more about what invasive species are, uh, why they present such unique challenges to the conservation field, and so on and so forth. So thanks for inspiring our episode today. Yeah, shout out. Yeah. Yep. Um, we also want to give a really big shout out to my brother's girlfriend, Grace, because she is our hero, truly. Um, <laughs> she has posted all of our stuff and reposted it and shared it and is just so kind to all of us. So I want to say thank you because she's just yes, thank you, doing Grace. a great job. Yeah, thanks so much. She's like our wingman. She's, she's our number one fan sense, is what it comes that, down to. That's Definitely our hype woman. <laughs> there you go. All uh, right. You want to have some conservation updates? Oh, I got, general. I got some. Yes. All right. Do it. All right. So, uh, before we start this podcast fully in depth, I don't think we can continue on without mentioning or acknowledging what's been going on here in the United States. There have been mm-hmm. protests against um, systemic racism, in particular against the Black community and police brutality. And here at the Conservation Queens, we believe that Black Lives Matter. And we are going to continue to build up our allyship and use this platform to help amplify voices of the black community. Uh, That being said, take a look at our social media pages. We're going to keep posting links to other podcasts to kind of help give historical context what's going on, while also giving you links to some really cool uh, voices within the black community that tie specifically into conservation and wildlife. Yeah. 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 We love it. Sweet, sweet. We don't do racism here. No. <laughs> yeah. Also, happy Pride Month. Woo woo. Yay. 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 LGBTQ plus. Yep. <laughs> cool. All right. Anybody got zoo news? I have zoo news. <laughs> what? I know. Um, <laughs> so AZA, um, AZA, we talked about that a little bit last episode. Um, is the Association of Zoos and Aquariums, and because just a little bit, it was like the whole episode was fine. Um, the AZA, because so many of the zoos in the United States and all around the world have had to close their doors um, for their peak months. Um, for those who don't know, a peak month at a zoo, um, the highest volume of people is March through June, which mm-hmm. is when mm-hmm. 
Hmm. everything closed so uh, zoos are struggling and um for aza to have people um help out a little bit more they have made a shirt that is um available for purchase for 30 dollars. it's on the aza website if you scroll down uh it's a blue shirt that says in this together uh, i ordered mine and it comes with a free mask which is awesome so that we can all stay safe out there so i would encourage everyone to go order one if you can and if not <laughs> If not, just go keep supporting your local zoos, whether that be on social media or now that they're they're starting to open, go to the zoos. Just make sure you really, and I think all of us can agree, please be really, really conscious of the regulations the zoo put in place so that we can make sure that we can all enjoy these awesome animals together. Oh, yeah. Well said. All right, friends. It is time to jump into the topic for today. (gasps) What is the topic for today? It is invasive species. (laughs) Yes. Wow. um, We're going to really get into it, but uh, I think first we're just going to kind of go around um, and just quickly mention a invasive species that is either from our hometown or one that we know a little bit about. Um, so my invasive species that I wanted to mention is the Asian carp that live in the Mississippi River. They're, They're so this funny. big, ugly fish, which no offense <laughs> to them, but they are. And they literally jump out of the river into boats because they get oh. like agitated by the noise of boats. And they'll oh. just like jump into boats, which is... Okay, they've killed people. That's kind of fair, though. I mean, to be... Oh, yeah. They've killed maybe people. They've killed people, maybe not. Because they get smacked. People get smacked and they either like go overboard or they just like... Oh, my God. They are yeah, wild. Are they? But that's mine. Are they very large? Asian? Yes, they're what huge. They yeah. They're like uh, two to three feet long. They're enormous. Yeah. Because like a goldfish is a kind of carp too. And you don't have to keep feeding your goldfish. It gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Mississippi River, pretty big fish tank. So, mm. Well, and carp in general are just garbage truck fish. So all they, <laughs> they do are. is eat trash. <laughs> which Same. I mean, great. But like, no, not great. Because then they have a lot of food to sustain them. And there's a bazillion of them in the river. And they just cause a lot of problems. But that's mine so i think it's uh, kind of funny that it's like you know your favorite invasive or you know an invasive species but it's like do you really do you really love an invasive species (laughs) oh that reminds me to hate them (laughs) there's actually a really funny uh couple of videos where people purposely go out uh where there's that one dude on water skis and he has like a katana or some kind of sword and oh they my go God, through. Does he kill like lionfish or something? No, no, no. It's the Asian carp. The Asian carp starts oh, jumping, oh. and he starts whacking at him. Amazing. And he's in oh full God. battle gear on water skis. It's pretty funny. They're oh, huge too. God. It's like a small child. Oh, <laughs> oh, better. Oh boy. <laughs> well, anyway, not that Asian carps are small children, but they're the size of small children. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Katie, what's your invasive? <laughs> well, I think my favorite weird invasive species is actually European honeybees um, in Australia because that's not really an animal people would think of as invasive because you know honeybees. Oh my gosh, they do so much. They're great. What could possibly be wrong with them? Well, when they're not where they're supposed to be, <laughs> it could definitely be a problem. So they, like any other invasive species, were introduced in Australia originally to help you know to produce honey and used for crop pollination and unfortunately now there are some feral populations disrupting uh, natural pollinators and ecosystems so just one that i think not many people would think is invasive that's true and i didn't i didn't know until i was there and they told me that so i was like okay rough yeah i just learned something new yeah i'm glad (laughs) 
All right. Who else has a favorite or uh, well, notable? Notable. We'll say notable. That's a good one. Yes. <laughs> so one that is kind of interesting is called Anutria. Um, they're invasive to Louisiana, but they also call them swamp rats. Um, <laughs> Relatable. Yeah, so are they actually a rat? No. So they look kind of like a miniature capybara, if you know oh what God. that is. Oh. But they have a oh, tail. They have big teeth. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's a whole yeah. yeah. And okay. they weigh they at totally about like... like a capybara with a rat tail <laughs> yeah they weigh about like 20 pounds so like is that like a cat pretty that's big. pretty big um well cats it's are like probably a, like 10 pounds like a so probably medium like medium dog yeah Jeez, it, says four, Christmas. it says 14 pounds holy cow yeah they're oh, quite yeah, large a small dog <laughs> but um, they are invasive to the wetlands of louisiana but they're actually from south america um, and they were brought here, or not here necessarily in Louisiana. Um, they were brought in the 1930s for their pelts. Um, but then they escaped, and now they're taking over the wetlands and destroying the ecosystem. Oof. So they are that. a rat. They are a rodent. Yes. In the family of spiny rats. Okay. I mean, they look kind of like porcupines, don't they? Uh, they're no. a little bit as cute as PGPs are I'll tell you that much um, okay just me fine but one of the things that I thought was really interesting is that some of the locals have embraced the swamp rats at Audubon <laughs> Zoo which is a local zoo in Louisiana um, they have a nutria named T-Boy and they treat him kind of like Groundhog Day so like if he sees his <laughs> shadow <laughs> amazing T-Boy yeah he predicts uh, how long the weather or how or how long the seasons are going to last. <laughs> All right. So here's, here's what I'm going to uh, propose here. Conservation Queens fan meetup. We're all going to go see T-Boy. And <laughs> Can we make gonna... shirts? I'm just yes. here for T-Boy. Oh he's going to predict how long our uh, podcast is going to last. Oh <laughs> <laughs> we, I just Googled T-Boy Nutria Audubon Zoo and they made a little basketball court for him. What? Like a mini basketball court. <laughs> I, I don't know why. That's just like the... No, I'm looking at oh, it. They were probably asking him to predict like which, you know, NBA team is going to win or something. Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> that's it funny. is really funny, though. <laughs> anyway. So that's uh, my hometown, y'all. <laughs> nice <laughs> oh my goodness well in my hometown uh in way up there in the north in minnesota you betcha uh oh, we have leave me alone we have something no, I have. Stick together. i'm behind so you Abby. i love it thanks emily uh we've got the emerald ash borer so this is not just minnesota this is a lot of the eastern united states um it's an asian beetle that like destroys trees mm. Right. So the reason that I really um, like talking about them is because I love camping. And one of the main ways that emerald ash borers have been moved is people um, transporting their own firewood. So mm. the best way to help spread, um, stop the spread of the emerald ash borer is to buy your firewood at the location that you're camping at instead of bringing your own from home. Smart. Um, So it's really, really easy. It might be slightly more expensive, but we also don't want to lose all of our ash trees because that's what happens as they go through. They have destroyed entire forests, just this little tiny beetle. Um, And in their native range, they're fine. But then, you know, when they become invasive. What do they do to the tree? They, like, chew up, like, the, I believe it's, like, the inner layer of the bark. Mm -hmm. Um, and that kind of just kills the tree. And if you That's if you rough. look at the damage, you can like peel back the bark and you can see all their trails going through the tree. So 
Yeah. yeah, they're a huge problem in East Tennessee. When we go up to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park, when I was studying there, you go up to the top of Clemens Dome, and you can just see all these skeletal trees that were destroyed by the beetle. So, yeah. Wow. And it's so tiny that it can destroy something so big. So that's why I think it's so interesting. Um, but it's also something that we can easily just stop by not transporting wood from place to place and just, I don't know, being a responsible camper. Mm-hmm. Leave no trace. L N T. Love it, Kenzie. Do you have a notable invasive? I do. So I'm from a military family, and I don't have a hometown. But I found invasive species that's been pretty much everywhere that I've moved to here in the United States, and they are feral hogs. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, I also chose feral hogs because one, I tried to wrestle one in the World Hog Wrestling Championship. <laughs> Ooh, so is, is, anyone, is anyone surprised? Is anyone I'm not really surprised, surprised, but I do need to know more. <laughs> uh, I can tell you more later. And then I also had a potential run-in with one when I was doing research um, on by by myself, like 20 minutes down a dirt trail on the side of a mountain in uh, southeastern Tennessee. I almost uh, peed my pants. <laughs> yeah, but feral hogs, they're no joke, man. Uh, they first came to the United States, I think it was back in the 1500s, when uh, European colonizers started coming over here to North America, and they were used as a means for food production. Well, uh, between escaped populations and then a free-range management style, they started creating uh, wild populations and now they are just wrecking havoc all over the place my dudes i think here in florida alone they've actually been responsible for like 800 million dollars uh, in loss of damages uh, in the agriculture missed. business Yuch. yeah when i lived yeah. in texas we had them like we would never see them but I used to work where there was like a ropes course and mm-hmm. like every day you would go out to set up and like the ground was just torn up from the hogs. Ugh. Oh yeah. And they can be quite aggressive too. Yeah. I, I saw yeah. some um, on one of the roads that we, that you used to live on um, here in Florida. I saw some, uh, like a mom with her pivot from the side of the road. And I tried to get my fiance to like pull over so we could like, adopt a baby one but then I was like maybe that's not smart and it's not I just like they're so cute when they're little and then they get older and I'm scary Mm -hmm. yeah don't do that that's not what you're supposed to do and he was very smart to be like Abby you know that's wrong um but like I lost I'm sorry I lost my cool for a minute it's okay it happens to all of us we'll appreciate them from afar listen I guess I've I've said you know when I see a manatee's back, I just want to jump on it. So I get yeah. it. So leave me alone. <laughs> Every time. Oh, baby, boy. Every baby time. wild boars look like little tiny marshmallows, which remind me of baby tapers. And so I can't. I just thought you were going to say, which reminds you of prehensile tailed boars. <laughs> did I say marshmallow? <laughs> I, meant, did. I yeah. meant watermelon. Those are two different things. What? <laughs> How do you mix up a marshmallow and a watermelon? My brain is a really weird place. You don't really want to know. Oh, boy. Okay, so should we maybe talk about, like, what the difference is between invasive species and native species? And and endemic. And indigenous. Just when you thought there weren't enough confusing vocabulary words. Oh, boy. This is uh, Ecology 101. Welcome. Yes. Welcome to my Ecology 265 class. Um, All right. So I'm just going to try and give brief 
this like um what's the word definition that's the one (laughs) (laughs) couldn't think of it definition of definition (laughs) it's what defines something and that's the definition yeah you know words are really hard okay uh so a native species is any animal that lives in a particular ecosystem so for example here in florida a native animal might be something like i don't know the white-tailed deer they live everywhere but um alligator perfect an alligator that's a a better example um but they the only thing that defines them as a native species is that they live in that area they can be found there Um, they've been here they've been out here right um so when it comes to invasive species um, these are the bad guys. Yes. yes. So these ones have either been introduced to an area that they shouldn't have been. Um, we're going to talk about what introduced means in a second. But a lot of these words, it's, I need like a Venn diagram to show you all. Because a lot of them, there's overlap. It's not like five separate circles. There's overlap to them. Absolutely. Um, but an invasive species does not belong there. Um, and it causes mass chaos. That's the easiest way to say it. Yeah, um, like- Go ahead. Um, in Minnesota, there's another plant called a buckthorn, and it is like this noxious vine that grows up all of these trees and like chokes out trees, and like it has been just a pain in the butt to try to get rid of all of it. It yeah, I just <clears throat> hate it. Um, yes, exactly. So then there's introduced species. So introduced species are a species that has been brought somewhere. So whether that was deliberately or accidentally, um, for example, the ships that come over, or the ships that come over. <laughs> I do it. I'm not over this. <laughs> no, we keep it, we're keeping this in. <laughs> You're, so like an example of that is Norway rats yes. were brought pretty much everywhere from Europe because of, they stowed away on you know, ships that were going elsewhere. Right. So they're everywhere. They accidentally got brought here. Um, then you have introduced species that are brought there on purpose. For example, in Hawaii, they brought all of these mongoose, mongoose, I guess is the plural, <laughs> over to Hawaii to eat all of the rats that were introduced. Well, spoiler alert. Uh, <laughs> they ate the other things, didn't they? Well, not necessarily, but they just, one of them is nocturnal and one of them is diurnal, so they never oh interact. My God. That's so funny. They have a mongoose problem. Which is why scientists are now like, maybe we shouldn't introduce more species. <laughs> Shock. What Shock a con- maybe that's a bad idea. How, how is an invasive really different than an introduced? Because so, a lot of invasive species were brought by humans. An introduced species could have beneficial properties whereas an invasive i think the bottom line is that they're causing problems oh i've got a good example go for it so um in yellowstone remember they had the wolves got like yes driven out they reintroduced wolves into that area which were native at one point and it helped correct they were a native species they were but they're also eradicated but they're also introduced because they were brought back into the ecosystem right yeah yes and i believe Mm -hmm. that we could say all invasive species are introduced species but not all introduced species become invasive species yes i like that yeah that's a good one It's it's a square rectangle deal I'm telling you, there's just a big Venn diagram of confusion. Um, So the next one is endemic. You'll hear that word thrown around. Um, Endemic just means that that 
species can only be found in that area. So that could be a big area or a small area, but endemic means it is only found in that defined area. Madagascar! Yes. Boom. Lemurs in Madagascar. That's an endemic species. Or everything in Australia. (laughs) True. That too. Exactly. (laughs) Pretty much islands. That is kind of the big scope. There's also indigenous species, um, which is similar to endemic. It just means they can be in more than one area. It means they have always been found in that area, but it could be that they are found in multiple areas. Like a white-tailed deer. Boom. You got it. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Abby, come in and clutch with these. Right? Again, brain's a weird place, but when it comes through, it comes through horde. (laughs) (laughs) And that's why we love you. Yeah, so the next thing we're going to do is go over a couple different kind of case studies of invasive species. Um, We talked about a few at the start, but we're going to dive in a little deeper to a few of these here. Especially Florida, because Florida is just a hot spot for invasives. (laughs) It quite literally is. Florida's just a mess, period. Do you want me to explain why Florida is such a, like, problem? Has such a problem? Go for it. Go for it. So because Florida, and I know, like, everyone in the United States is like, yeah, Florida is that weird place. Well, it's because everything can survive here. It Mm -hmm. is hot. It is humid. There has no seasons. (laughs) which means that every species that could be from, like, any kind of temperate or tropical climate can survive in Florida. We got tropical. We've got some temperate in there, which means that we have things like giant boa constrictors, and (laughs) which is, like, something that shouldn't terrify me but kind of does because I'm like, I just want to enjoy my time in the Everglades, but here we are. (laughs) Um, And, like, even monkeys... Uh, macaques mm-hmm. it, all these weird invasive species that you could not find anywhere else in the u.s because it, that they don't have the right climate and we just happen to have the perfect climate yes yes which is great florida but has sucks. the perfect climate for a lot of things i just want it like new jersey <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry definitions and more of this topic is to look at some case studies oh yeah we do love studies yeah emily has a good one yes that That we love talking about i I just uh, i could talk about these guys all day and i do i have they're just a problematic fish it's it's our literal job to talk about a great way to put it Lionfish canceled, <laughs> but only in Florida because we like them where they're supposed to be, just not here. Yeah, no, yeah, they're canceled everywhere except for the. Emperor. Well, tell us why they're canceled, Emily. <laughs> yes, yeah, so lionfish. I'm sure you've probably seen them. They're this big, beautiful fish. They have these big, beautiful fins. They're just so fancy. Like, I just imagine them as, like, a really rich, fancy person. Because <laughs> they also are dangerous, mm. just like a really rich, fancy person. That's what I'm oh, saying. my gosh. Like a mafia boss. They're like a mafia <laughs> boss. That's perfect. And they're so, they're, like, super, like, slow swimming and just, like, ambush hunters. I'm telling you, they could definitely be a mafia boss. Um, 
But lionfish are native to the Indo-Pacific. So that's their native range. It's where they're found. It's where they live. Um, and people thought, wow, this is such a pretty fish. I would like it to be in my home aquarium. Which, like, can okay. you blame them? Probably, probably had good intentions from the start, but alas, here we are. And so they got them over in their home aquariums and like, wow, what a great fish. And then this fish just kept growing and growing and they get really big and really aggressive and just cause problems. They don't like each other. No. No. And so this person was like, okay, time to get rid of my lionfish because they're eating everything else. So let me just dump it into the ocean here in Florida. That seems like a good plan. Bad plan. Bad plan. plan. Spoiler alert. Did not end well. (laughs) So lionfish were originally introduced, they think, according to the FWC, in 1985. Uh, By the early 2000s, they had multiplied like a bazillion fold. Um, Lionfish can have up to 30,000 babies every three to four days. What? Wait, I didn't know that. Whoa, 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 hold on. That just means they're laying 30,000 eggs every three to four days. Correct. Can you imagine giving birth every three to four days? No, thank you. No, thank you. Hard pass. Like, yeah. But they can produce. I mean, with chickens, it's like here's right. one. They can produce lionfish are like here's so even thirty thousand spawn every three to four so, days. And let's assume that nature takes its course and only even if one percent, one percent, or less than right. that's still that's still three hundred babies. That is a lot. That's so true. That's usually how it goes. Yes. That's how it be. So because they're not, you know, normally found here. They're every other animal that is a predatory fish is like, what the heck is this thing? So I'm not going to go well, near it. It's venomous. That. It's going to stab right. me. Hard pass. Like, it's, it's not like we go up to, I don't know. Okay, some people do this, and I don't encourage you. But you don't go up to, like, a copperhead or a water moccasin, and you're like, oh, let's pet it. I'm going to try to eat that. Like, you don't do that. Oh. Nope, nope. So they have no predators in Florida waters. Like even sharks would not touch them because they just didn't know what they were. Um, and so the lionfish, because they are so aggressive, eat literally everything. They just eat it all. They're just like small fish, big fish, don't care. I'll eat it all. Um, and so they decimate native fish populations. Um, so thankfully, we have realized that this is a problem. Um, And so they are trying to fix it by hosting like lionfish derbies where you catch a bazillion of them and they'll pay you to catch them, um, which is great. There's like a bounty on their head. Um, And bonus, they're really delicious. Um, I have. Okay. I've never eaten lion. Okay. It is a delicious white fish. A lot of people are really scared to eat it because they hear lionfish are venomous. They think Ah. it's poisonous. Yeah. And that's not the same thing. Listeners. Oh, let's talk about <sighs> yeah. that. All right. Poison and venom. V different. Go for it, Abby. If you bite it and you get sick, it's poisonous. Like a poison dart frog. If, if it bites you and then you get sick, it's venomous like a snake. You got it. You this got has it. Been so lionfish are venomous. <laughs> this has been lionfish are venomous, not poisonous. Please eat them. Help us all. no but really if you see them on a menu order it um it is very sustainable because we want to eat all of them yeah we're not important we're not importing these guys they're like now we went out to the you know what's it called biscayne national park and we just were like hey please please take these 
<laughs> and if any of you out there are really into spearfishing, uh, Florida has like a really big season. I think it's actually during summertime. I have to double check though, um, where they give you like really high rewards for like the most lionfish that you can get or like the biggest lionfish. Um, so yeah, it's like a whole like oh. event that you can join. Season is year round. Mm-hmm. Ooh. 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 Go catch yourself a lionfish. And yes. how they catch them is cool, yeah, though. Never. Like That's my favorite thing to tell people is it's a really, really sustainable way to catch fish. They're not using a net. They're not using poles. They're doing spear fishing, which means that no other fish virtually are harmed in the process. You get right. the best. Because yeah, they don't go for like nets and stuff because they like to live in the coral. So it's like, well... Then we're catching everything but what we want. You don't want to hurt the coral. Have any of you guys ever seen lionfish like uh, at like no or something? Mm -mm. No, no, no. Okay, I've heard of people that have gone to Publix and sometimes they. For those who don't know, Publix is the grocery store chain in Florida that we all shop at. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. AKA it is gone. I had no idea what Publix was until I moved. I don't see any results Um, on their website for lionfish. It might be, like, a seasonal okay. thing that they serious. have. I swear or maybe like, if you're, like, yeah, in maybe, Miami. Like, local. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, we're, we're a local. Um, something to note, they are it found does. all the way, well, not all the way, but quite far up the East Coast um, and into the Gulf and in the Caribbean. So they have spread quite far. They're not just in Florida anymore. Oh, they're everywhere. Take a look at the map online, um, listeners. There's, like, some really cool maps. You can see lionfish spread in the U.S., and it's, yeah, um, FWC has lots it's of maps. Crazy. <laughs> Are you making fun of Midwest accents again for the second time in one no, episode? Never, <laughs> never. Ooh, I would how never dare do you. such a thing. I would never <laughs> do such a thing. And there is. I'm gonna just segue here. Go for it. There's another species in Florida um, that caught my attention the other day so that's why I wanted to bring it up um actually my mother was the one who was reading this article and showed it to me uh about a cane toad any of you guys ever heard of a cane toad yes I hear people with them what (laughs) yeah why don't want to do that please do not lick the cane toad in zoology science licks you you don't lick the science that's not Well, cane toads are a pretty large toad that's native to the Amazon basin in South America. Um, They, unfortunately, were introduced to Florida, um, as well as Hawaii and Australia. And I think that's why Kenzie knows the cane toads, um, because in Australia it became a thing that people were like, oh, it's poisonous, I'm going to look it. Um, You know, and that was just a bad idea. (laughs) Um, But obviously game So they were introduced to these areas to control um, agricultural pests in sugarcane in the 1930s and 40s. Um, Jokes on these guys because they wanted them to eat the beans. Oh boy, here we go again with this. (laughs) And they, it turns out these these toads can't hop very no. high. They're a little chubby. They can't. They're so fat. So the beetles were just like, oh, I'll just go up higher on the <laughs> and so they didn't they they didn't eat it like any of the beetles um they oh my gosh they're huge currently kind of thriving go to google and just um, google king toad in the second like line of pictures 
It's a two. It's not a one hand frog. It's a two hand frog. It's a two hand frog. That's a good way to put it. It's a two hand toad. Um, and they also believe that current populations are so large because of pet trade escapes and releases <sighs> in the fifties and the sixties. Um, which is a big part of why invasive species species happens. Like Emily said, you know, that's part of why lionfish became abundant in certain areas. So, you know, <laughs> choose your pets wisely and never release them into the wild. But that's a whole other story. They secrete a poison from their skin gland. It's highly toxic and it can sicken. Or so Australia was like, let's just lick it on them. I mean, to be fair, I mean, to be fair, Australia did start out as a penal colony, so... I'm sorry. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm so sorry, sorry, Australia. But the reason that uh, my mom saw an article about them the other day is because, and this is the quote, title of the article, quote, dog-killing cane toads are back as rain draws them out. So when she showed me this, I was like, oh, that's another one for the apocalypse thing. <laughs> uh, because it, it was such a, it was such a, you know, kind of like a news article that was really trying to stir up. Like the, uh, like the death you know, hornets. Fear and. Yeah. Yeah, like murder hornets, exactly. Where it's just like, we're not actually going to explain this issue in full and how it's, you know, really go into depth about, right, we're just going to scare y'all with this headline and you know so that it becomes uh everyone shares it so basically these cane toads have been here in florida for quite some time uh heavy rains do stir them up from their burrows and you know gives plenty of water to breed in tadpoles so it can definitely increase their population because they don't have any predators here because they're poisonous and uh you know they don't they're invasive so the problem is that people are uh, often very worried, and it has happened, that dogs will see these big toads um, and will lick them because toad, small, I don't know, it doesn't move fast, or they might bite them or something like that, and it can um, poison dogs and other pets. So really, just keep an eye on your dog when you're walking them. These cane toads are kind of found a little further south than central florida okay kind of going toward Miami. i just looked up um but also they can be mistaken for oh, native no. southern toads and that's a big problem because people are like oh because when they see these dog killing cane toad like you know t- article titles it's like well i have to kill every toad i see no, that's bad and that's not the case. not the answer also that's i just very bad toads frogs i just looked up what the biggest cane toad was because i'm just like curious so, you apparently, when you measure amphibians and reptiles, which are called herps, um, you measure them from, quote-unquote, snout vent length. Oh, that's big boy. So, it's from their snout to their anus. And, stop laughing. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I'm 12. The average size is four to six inches, right? Normal-sized, pretty big toad. The largest specimen on record was... 9.4 inches. What? What? That, that is a chunk. Nine and a half inch frog. <laughs> chunk. I love this. I like big frogs and I cannot lie. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yep. yeah. Very lovely. That's a big frog, man. Yeah. I'll have to tell so, Ellie to watch out. Southern toads are actual, uh, actually a lot 
smaller on average than cane toads. So that's also one way to tell them apart. They have different markings on their heads, but um, I think that could be a problem with invasive species is kind of, you know, creating that not fear of wildlife, but no, it's 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 I it's definitely fear idea of that. I think that's a perfect way to put it. No, well, okay. it is because people, <laughs> yeah, because people are scared, and that's like. <laughs> You know, it's okay to have a healthy fear right. of nature, right? So you don't go too, you don't, not everybody can be our Lord and Savior, Steve Irwin, who goes up to crocodiles and like tackles them. So having a healthy fear of wildlife is okay. But when it becomes something like ecophobia, where, where yeah, you're just scared of everything yeah, and then decide, point. oh, the best way to handle it is killing it. That's where we have an issue. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's not to say that that isn't like with lionfish, for example, that is definitely a solution that needs to be done and, and, you know, used. It's just, please don't take your fear of cane toads and spread that to every little frog that you see outside um, because frogs and toads do really important work in the ecosystem. And they're also an indicator species, which means that if something's happening to the toads and the frogs, something is wrong with the ecosystem. They are the usually the first ones affected by change in the environment, indicating something is wrong. But alas, I uh, <laughs> because okay, <laughs> I'm kind of excited about this next one because uh, Emily, you have I think Florida's weirdest invasive species. Well, we know how Florida, Florida is. is. Well, not all of us. Well, for this section, I think all of our case studies are Floridian things, but. The Florida. the one that I think right. is the oddest uh, of them all is the Reese macaques. And if you don't know what a macaque is, it's a monkey. Um, yes, uh, there are monkeys in Florida. <laughs> wild always... monkeys. There's wild monkeys in Florida. I could have gone my whole life without knowing this. <laughs> I, yeah, I have been living here, here since I was two. And only like last year, I discovered that there's monkeys in Florida. Um, And I think the reason why we don't go visit them is because they actually carry herpes B, um, which can be very deadly to humans if they contract it. Um, So the reason that they came here was because there was a local eccentric tour boat operator um he thought it'd be really cool to bring some of his uh asian uh monkeys you know it would jazz up <laughs> yeah <the monkeys. laughs> so this man um he put them on an island just off the coast uh lo and behold they can swim uh so they swam <laughs> Yeah, really so they swam swimmers. to the mainland, which is where they now are. They're at Silver Spring State Park. Oh my god, that's like yeah. so close. I actually just went there last week. Oh my week. gosh. Wait, really? So yeah. after, did you see a macaque? I did so after we do macaques. our meetup to go see, what was his name, T-Bone? T-Boy. We're then going to all road trip T-boy. to Silver Springs where we're all going to just go monkey hunting. Well, I yeah, got, no. They like phot- photography hunting. Uh, well, okay. I was like, please click. So, so, yeah. picture with my camera. <laughs> well, that's like the that's biggest better. issue with them is that uh, they do attract tourism, but you don't really want the tourism because one, they're causing harm to the ecosystem, that's and true. two, uh, they carry a deadly 
virus. That's true. Um, Just kidding. We will not be doing our conservation cruise great. meetup in Silver Spring State but, Park. <laughs> but you did bring up, like, an interesting point when you said shooting. I know you meant taking photos of them, but uh, this is where the controversy comes into play with it is with many invasive species is the means of elimination. Um, So unfortunately, like they're not supposed to be there, uh, these monkeys and there's over hundreds of them and their population has been rapidly growing over the years. Um, And local officials have tried removing and sterilizing the monkeys, uh, which didn't work. The population still grew. So recommendations were made to eradicate all of the adults and any monkeys that were reaching mm. close to adulthood. Um, but they're a charismatic animal. So a lot of locals do not support that decision. So that's where like the big controversy comes into play with. Right. It becomes a, a controversy of like environmental, you know, welfare. Yeah, well, even animal welfare. Human like, welfare, too. So it's human very... Human, yeah, <laughs> it's very right. difficult. Right. Like you can argue both sides very easily, and I think that's what happens with a lot of these invasive species. Because it's also like you know, right? Here. Exactly. It's not their fault. But, yeah, but it's... also, well, they're destroying the ecosystem now, so yeah, we have a right or not a right, but we have a responsibility to take care of it. Yeah, I have actually um, something to to add on to that. This is probably one of my favorite subjects to talk about. Uh, But one of the things that our professors back in university used to tell us, uh, you know, we were studying wildlife management and they go, you know, the joke is it's not really wildlife you're managing. It's people. Honestly, yes. Yeah, that's really true. Yeah. Because I know for me personally, I know we joke about, you know, these animals and to get rid of them. uh, But, you know, really, it is our responsibility to make sure that the native species is protective. And I think people tend to forget about our native flora and fauna in the face of something charismatic like Emily and Katie, you were saying. Yeah, yeah. Well, why does a rhesus macaque that doesn't belong here any more important than, say, um, let's say a native bird species? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah here comes the bird <laughs> all right abby's on board for that one it's a it's a big issue and there's a lot of invasive yeah. birds too yeah. like european starlings are a big problem um because they are yes. taking over and then um other birds are problems too because they're parasitic species where they lay like their eggs in other mm-hmm. birds nests and then kick mm-hmm. out the babies and a lot of those parasitic species are invasive so it's not just you know these fun things like they're like literally killing the wildlife because they're literally kicking out the wildlife that we have here and the um the good and the bad thing about charismatic animals and when we say charismatic we mean like peep they're cute and people like them mm-hmm. the best thing about them is that they're they're best ambassadors for people to start caring about nature so like if you look at a macaque you're like that is a cool animal if we show you like a beetle you're gonna be like gross even if I agree, but the, but the public cool. doesn't think that, and we were also, <laughs> but like that's that's the issue, yeah. right? And so, it, so charismatic animals, or we like to refer to them as charismatic megafauna, and Katie likes to refer to them as big sexy animals. Big sexy, big, sexy <laughs> megafauna, um, baby. <laughs> so it's it's the other thing is like people have seen like zoos and nature centers use these 
Oh my god. We love those tigers. We love those elephants. We love those <laughs> and we love these monkeys, right? We love these macaques and people have seen other Do we love monkeys? We... <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Oh my god. But like people are used to us being like, wow, we gotta save like these monkeys. And what they don't realize is we mean in their native territories, where they belong. Um, right. Yeah. Yep. So that in mm-hmm. yeah. in one of the ways uh that it has been promoted to like eradicate invasive species is by hunting. There's a lot of people who practice sport hunting. Um, and I think someone was going to bring that up for wild hogs. Was that you, Kinsey? Yes, that, that was. Um, so talking about wild hogs earlier, I know in the state of Tennessee, they actually had a season for wild hogs. But what happened was that uh, certain groups of hunters were having just so much fun hunting down these wild hogs. And they turned to each other and they're like, you know what, because it's going to be real fun. We take, we take some wild hogs of ourselves and we stock them. <laughs> so they were actually illegally stalking and transporting the wild hogs and the wild hog population and a great streak of irony actually exploded um so they are no longer classified as an official game species uh but i'm trying to remember what the policy is but i think you can still uh hunt them down or they are Let still classified as an invasive species wild so, hunting florida. Uh, yeah um mm-hmm. i mean that's kind of like the issue yeah so oh i can totally talk about yeah in the united states <laughs> But it's because we've eliminated apex predators. We've driven so many to extinction that the deer populations are running rampant and we actually need people to hunt them in order to save the rest of the ecosystem. But it comes down to that initial issue of, well, this is only happening because... Well, totally. And then, so I'm from Minnesota. Mm -hmm. We used to have wolves everywhere in Minnesota and we still have a couple populations really, really far north, like in Ely, which is next to Canada. And people right now, a big debate um, in the Minnesota natural resources community is about wolf hunting because for a long time, their wolf populations were so small that like hunting them would have completely gotten them out of there. But however, now the wolf population has gotten bigger again and it is starting to have some issues and the deer population is actually doing okay in northern minnesota it's like not exploding as much as it should um but so is the wolf population kind of exploding more than it should and it's starting to affect other things so the dnr has a regulated wolf hunt and for those who don't know that means that they only sell a certain amount of tags which means that after they have sold all the tags to get a wolf That is something in one episode. <laughs> Katie had to out for me. That was cute. That was really cute. I wasn't saying it like it was bad. Okay. That was so cute. Okay. Anyway, they sell wolf tags, and once they're done selling wolf tags, they're not going to sell anymore. And if you don't get a wolf, too bad. Try again next year. But it's a really regulated hunt, and I think a lot of people don't realize that some hunting is really, really important for hunting like deer in Minnesota. The deer population is out of control. I know 50% of the people that I know Mm -hmm. from the Midwest have hit a deer at one point or another, or, or like have gotten in an accident because of a deer because they're everywhere. 
We have a lot of like deer issues. So what we're saying here is that in the future we're gonna have an episode and we're gonna talk about the cascades because that's and we can call it oh dear. Oh my goodness, it's oh dear. You've been waiting all episode, and there it is, folks. Kenzie's uh, (laughs) dad joke. There we go. Love it. Get in at least one. But yeah, we should definitely talk about that because that's another topic that is really close to my heart, just from where I come from. Totes Totes, my goats. Cool. It it also just goes to show you how, while initially a lot of invasive species are brought in to usually take care of a problem that people, you know, whether it's like in farming and agriculture, getting rid of a pest or um, another reason, you know, maybe we want them as pets because they're really cool. Uh, They almost always end up costing Mm a lot of money to fix money um, time like effort really, blood sweat really, tears really expensive yeah and they cause so much damage that emotional trauma <laughs> emotional trauma wait can you personally exactly. attest yes oh the hog thing oh remember i i got i had like a run-in with a boar yeah yeah <laughs> it was a big hog too that thing just stared straight into my soul oh no thank you I Aren't mean, I've had sense? some pretty emotional buckthorn yeah, removals where I've had to, like, climb in a tree and cut down a vine. Oh, no, thank you. Mm. Oh, we didn't that's even a... talk about invasive plants. Yeah, if you yeah. think invasive yeah. animals are bad. Entirely. I was saying, because you want to hear about invasive plants, conservation queen. kudzu. <laughs> Let me tell you a yeah. very brief, very brief story. So my parents live on a lake. It's a nice little lake. It's very small. There is this algae that grows in the lake. Millfoil, European milfoil. watermill. Oh my and, god! Keep going. Yes, correct. <laughs> and this thing just multiplies like crazy, and usually because people are using fertilizer in their lawns and it washes into the lake, and the algae is like great food. Um, but when they try to remove the algae, people just try to pick it up and move it because it's big. It's uh, macroalgae. Um, but the problem is, is it grows by fragmentation which pretty much all algae does. And that means when you break it up and every tiny little piece that floats away that you don't catch just turns into more algae. And so therefore they might have to drain the entire lake and start over. Wow. Yeah. And that's going to cost a lot of money and a lot of time and could have been avoided yep. if <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> So, um, please don't go get a turtle at the store and put it in your local pond because I guarantee you it's not actually from your local pond. <laughs> I'm freeing it. Just <laughs> take it back to the pet store mm-hmm. if you don't want it anymore. <laughs> and here's the thing. Florida has a really cool thing called Amnesty yeah. Day, and I think yes. other states do too. There's something really mm-hmm. important. If you have a pet, it does not matter if it is Definitely. an exotic pet yeah. or a regular um, normal domesticated pet. If you have a pet like that and you do not want it anymore, wait for Amnesty Day because that means you can bring in your pet to a designated location that's through the Fish and Wildlife Service and Florida Animal Shelters, and they will take it from you, no questions asked. So if you were like, oh my gosh, I got this turtle, boa constrictor, (laughs) parrot, monkey, (laughs) if you have this pet that you did not realize how much work it was and how much you did not want it and didn't need it or if you were like man i don't really just think this is a good pet 
you can bring it in for amnesty day and they will take it and you will have no consequences from it. So please look up your amnesty day. Um, If you're in Florida, you can look on their website. If you're in a different state, I don't know as much about it. So you can go look on your websites. I think there's zoos in local have amnesty day. Yeah. Yeah. Like Kenzie was about to say zoos and aquariums. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Be a good place. Because we want to be safe and and nice to nature. (laughs) Unless the zoo I used to, when I interned at, um, people would just like leave things at the front of the zoo though. Don't do that. They would leave a parrot in a cage and be like, well, right. But like, that's not a good example. (laughs) Wait for amnesty day. (laughs) <laughs> but no, that was a pretty... Uh, well, that brings us to our conservation connection, connection, which is choose your pets wisely. <laughs> do your research, folks. It's not that hard. Um, in, in almost everything you do, doing your research is something that can help you be more informed and become a better person, a better pet owner, whatever it is. So in addition to choosing your pets wisely, because again, that's how a lot of these invasive species start getting into these different places... And more of like not even yeah choose your pets wisely. So also you never that want to give them yeah up in like, the first place is definitely big and but also if you do realize that you cannot handle the pet that you've chosen no never release them into make the a wild. responsible choice mm-hmm. because either it will be an animal that can survive in the wild and they could potentially become an invasive species and. You know, that we didn't even talk about the rabbit island in Japan. Ecosystem or... Oh my god. <laughs> or it's likely that that animal will not survive because they are domesticated. And that's, Absolutely. that's a whole issue in itself. So, And like learn said, about what's native and what's not in well. your area. So that could be your hometown, could be your home state, whatever it is. Learn about that. And there's a lot of... It's awesome. And there's a lot of different projects that you shocked. can do in your community. Partner up with nature centers, um, Boy Girl Scout troops, 4-H clubs, all of those kinds of things. You can all go out and remove invasive plants. That's one way that a lot of are helping. It's not so much an animal thing, but the plants. And that helps a lot because sometimes that'll help bring back natural things, which will help the native species combat the invasive species. So we like that. Okay, sorry, I have a story that is so relevant right now. Okay, so I used to work at a unspecified state park here in the state of Florida, (laughs) um, and I helped with oyster plant removal. Um, Oyster plants are invasive in that area of Florida that I was working at, and we were getting rid of the invasive oyster plants so that we could promote the growth of kunti plants, which are the only plant that the butterfly eats. Yes. Amazing. Wow, amazing nature. Um, So in regards to that kind of thing, if you're not in your hometown, when you're going camping or hiking or anything like that, we like to promote leave no trace. So that means that you leave the ecosystem like you found it. So um, one way that people put that is take only pictures, leave only footprints. I know those seashells at the beach are so pretty. And I know... It's a Hermitcraft's house, house. and I know that, like, that snack wrapper that you had in your pocket is just getting really annoying to hike with because you're sweaty. Keep it in your pocket or put it in a trash can. (laughs) Or recycled or composted if you can because that's better. But don't leave nature worse than when you found it. In fact, you should leave it better. 
when I go to the beach, one of the things that I do is however many people are in my party, I pick up that many pieces of trash, at least. Like, I'll actively look for that many pieces of trash to pick up and bring home. And then I make everyone else who's with me do it with me so that we leave the beach cleaner than when we found it. Um, it's really, really easy. It's not that hard. Bring a trash bag with you when you go hiking. So that's something that you can do. And if you want to learn more about how you can help out your local communities, whether it is little actions you can take at home or bigger actions, you can follow our social medias. We are on Instagram. We are on Facebook. At Instagram, our handle is at Conservation Queens Podcast, the longest handle in existence. And then if, <laughs> if you look on Facebook for Conservation Queens Podcast, we've got a page there. And if you have any questions about things that we talked about that you don't want to make as public, you can absolutely message us on Instagram or you can email us at conservationqueenpodcast at gmail.com and we'd be happy to answer your questions. We love talking. I don't know if you guys figured that out, but we do. It's true. <laughs> Does anybody have any last thoughts? We do. <laughs> Um, I think that was pretty fun. I do have some Instagram recommendations for uh, people of the black community who are involved in conservation. I know we talked a little bit yeah. about that at the beginning uh, yeah. of Go for the it. episode. Yes! Uh, yeah. Have you guys heard of Jungle Jordan? Oh my gosh, so yes. Yes! Yes! Yes, so everyone look up Jungle Jordan. He is an amazing uh, zookeeper and conservation educator. He works at, what is it, Woodland Park Zoo? Yeah. I think so, yeah. But yeah, yeah. yeah, but yeah, uh, look up him on Instagram, and if you have a TikTok, he actually has some really cool TikToks talking about different animal facts. Um, but the so best yeah, he is absolutely wonderful, so go check him out. zoo conversations that he's had. Those are the best. <laughs> <laughs> oh have you my ever gosh, wondered yes. what's it like to do? Oh, yeah, <laughs> okay, I have seen, I, I know Go exactly watch the zoo conversation TikToks, because that's what it's like to be a conservation queen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yep, he does do a very good job with that. He does. There's wow. an anti-coaching group in Africa. Uh, um, that's all female. Oh the yes, black is mambas. That... That's what they're called. The black mambas. They are so cool. So everyone should oh follow them too because that's <laughs> in Africa. Um, I studied abroad there. I know Kenzie did too. Um, one of the things I experienced there was there was a lot of mm-hmm. um male representation in the ecological community and not a ton of female. Yeah, they're amazing. Ooh, they're very um, Black on Mambas are an Heck anti-poaching yes. all-female group, and they are fighting the good fight. So definitely go follow them as well. They're like my yeah. heroes. Sweet, love it. They're pretty cool. All right, well, awesome. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you guys so much for listening and joining in with us today. Hope you learned something new. And just like Abby said, if you guys have any questions or even you have recommendations of topics that you want us to look more into or open a conversation, email us. Ooh, 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 ooh.